0: Praise the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Wow. Wow. Sometimes the Lord just blows you away. You come expecting. And he just does way more than you expect, right? Uh, That's been the sense in my heart this morning. Just just treasured moments of lifting up the name of Jesus. Isn't that liberating? Just to make much of Christ. it, It gets you outside of your head. And it's just like, Jesus, it's all about you. And uh, there's something freeing about that. I hope you realize that that is what we mean when we talk about suiting up for battle. It is to make much of Christ, not to make ourselves some great warrior, but to look to the one who is the warrior king, Jesus Christ. So we're one week into our 21 days of fasting and praying. And like I told you earlier today, a few folks decided they wanted to come and, and come early. And I love that. I encourage that. Uh, They wanted to come at nine and just pray over me and pray over our worship team and pray over every seat and pray over these rooms and our children and all who are leading us. And that's what it is. What we've we've been digging into is to to realize that the the, the fight we fight is mainly fought on our knees. So I hope that more would, would come early for prayer. If that's something that the Lord puts in your heart, you're welcome. I may begin calling that the power hour if this keeps up. Right? Because that's the source, right? Prayers are, it's our tap in to God Almighty. And um, we can never neglect it. A powerless church is a prayerless church. I hope you've had an incredible start to this 21 days. Um, The only way I could define my beginning is weakness. Uh, These few days. I've just been sapped of all my energy and I have a a brother in the room that it's our thing to fast together and just encourage one another with text and how you doing man how you feeling today can I pray for you those kinds of things and I'm just so weak we've we've shared how uh, there's no energy and a lack of strength and in the midst of that this week the Lord spoke something to me today that is just going to permeate this message so I just want to go ahead and tell you this is one of the truths that I feel like the Lord has put in me. Um, Weakness is good if dependence is the goal. Weakness is good if dependence is the goal. So why do we fast? Well, because there's a battle raging and we want to get serious about it. We want to give our first fruits of this year to Jesus, including our time, our treasures, our focus. And fasting is the way that we cut out the clutter and we focus in on Jesus. A devoted time of fasting and praying is liberating. We pray in order to suit up for battle. A couple of weeks ago, I used the imagery as we're introducing this idea of building the kingdom and battling against the enemy. I introduced this imagery of um, the, the battle from D-Day when the, the, the ships stormed the beaches of Normandy. And Sarah, she's wonderful, put, put a picture on the screen just to get that image in your mind. Well, those soldiers that day, years ago, knew the risk involved in going to battle. They knew they knew we're going to come to this beach and this little boat that the door is going to open and there's going to be an enemy fire immediately. Did you know that twenty five hundred U.S. soldiers died that day, most of which died in the first 15 minutes of battle? I read this week about how soldiers were having to literally climb over the bodies of their comrades to get out of the boat and onto the beach. Now, how ridiculous would it be to show up to the beach on D-Day with your sunscreen, your beach towel and your ice chest? How ridiculous would that be? And yet, for many of us, it is how we enter the spiritual battle of this world every day. So the call and this message for us, this message and next week, the call is to suit up for battle. Suit up for battle. Would you take God's word with me? And let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. As is our custom to honor the word of God. Would you stand with me? I want to read a portion of a text that hopefully is becoming familiar to you. Ephesians 6 beginning in verse 10. Paul finishes a letter. He writes from prison to the church he planted in Ephesus. And he's writing now. And he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Lord Jesus, we come uh, together today to receive a word from you. So our hearts are open. Our ears are listening. We are ready to walk in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. This message, I want to give you a who, a what, and a how. Who, what, and how. I'm going to do it in that order. Um, We're going to deal with three of the pieces of armor that Paul presents in this passage. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace. Those three pieces of armor, we're going to deal with it. But before we get into the armor, I want to talk about who this is really about. And then at the end, I want to tell you specifically how Right. If we just talk about the armor and I don't give you some instruction of, about how to put it on, that's not helpful. So uh, who, what and how the who is Christ. Right. Big surprise. Right. Every time you come here, you will hear about Christ. He's our king. Christ, the what is the armor and the, the how is prayer. So first, the call of this text is to put on Christ, Put on Christ. When most of us read this passage, and maybe you've heard many sermons. I was even looking back through my archives to see if I've preached it before. And I have. And I read over that a little bit and thought, I can't um, preach that. That's not what the Lord wants to say to us. Many of us, we read this passage, we immediately look, about, look to how we can robe up. In this heavy chainmail type spiritual armor and be a better warrior for Jesus. And that may be a good approach. It's not the best and it's not the first. When we think about it that way, our ego is stroked by the idea that if we just put on these pieces of armor, we can go fight all the enemies that he's going to. I'm going to charge hell with a water pistol, right? That we get that sort of feeling. But that's not exactly the point of this passage. If it were, it would be totally in conflict with the rest of the book. Paul doesn't speak to us about grace and and peace and mercy in Christ and that we are weak and He is everything. We were dead, but He made us alive. He is He is all. He is our peace. He doesn't go through six chapters of that just to get to the end and go, now, if you put on the armor, you go fight. That's not His message. The message is to show you, not that you can be individually strong. But it's to show you the one who is strong, the Lord, our warrior, Jesus Christ. Look carefully about how Paul begins this passage. He says in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength or power of his might. Paul's not vague in his message. But it is our tendency toward this idea of self-help, this idea of um, pulling myself up by my bootstraps or strength from within. You can find it in your inner self. That's not the gospel. Help doesn't come from within. Amen, Pedro? Help comes from our Savior, Jesus. We don't trust in horses. We don't trust in chariots. We trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Paul writes a similar passage in Romans chapter 13. And this is where I get the idea of put on Christ. Here's what he says in Romans 13. He says, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Cast off the works of darkness, the armor of light. Now, here's the works of darkness. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy. That's not an exhaustive list, but it gives you a picture, right? That's the the works of darkness. Now, what is the armor of light? Here's the answer. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. How do we war against the enemy? Before you think about shoes or belt or breastplate or sword. Think about Christ. If you can't remember, God, I need, I need the, the shield of oh, what is the shield of the shield. Of, just put on Christ. That's the call of this passage, first and foremost. If we go into battle and try to put on armor in our own strength we will be like a shepherd boy trying to suit up with the armor of a king that does not fit and fighting a giant he cannot defeat. This armor doesn't properly fit me. It is only fitting for the king. The call to suit up is the call to put on Christ. Be strong in the Lord in the power of His might. When we go to battle, we must remember who the true warrior is. God constantly reminded his people of this truth throughout history. In Exodus 14, the moment of the Great Red Sea crossing, the people of Israel were trapped. They were stuck with a sea on one side and the enemy on the other. They felt pinned in on every side. They cried out for help. Moses Brings a word to the people. He says, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Exodus 14, 13, 14. Be strong in the Lord. In Joshua 6, the great conquest of the city of Jericho. God had a battle plan and he gave that message to Joshua. And here was the battle plan. It wasn't to. To go through the wall or over the wall or under the wall. No, it's just to march around the wall silently, day after day after day. And on the seventh day, with the worship leaders and musicians leading the charge. Right? Who who does that? I mean, you go into battle and you say, hey, you, trumpet guy. Come on, You start. Come on, you're up here. You're in the front. You go into battle and here comes, you know, like this guy. But the Lord's like, when you hear the trumpet, here's the battle plan. Shout! But what's the point of that? What could possibly be the point of marching around a city, blowing a trumpet and shouting? The point is, the victory isn't yours. It's the Lord's. The battle belongs to the Lord. The Bible said in Joshua six sixteen, shout! For the Lord has given you the city. In 2 Chronicles 20, one of my favorite passages of victory in Christ. There's a great multitude coming against God's people. And King Jehoshaphat, uh, he feels weak and helpless. He looks out at this army. it's a vast army. He's like, oh my gosh, we're going to oh, we're gonna die. All of, God's, all of us, we're going to die. And in desperation, he cries out to God. Listen to this prayer. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. It's precisely in this moment of gut-honest weakness that he suited up for battle. He knew where true strength is. Now, ironically, God commanded the people that day: "You suit up for battle, all of you. Get dressed for warfare. Put on your put on all the stuff to go to fight. You're going to go up to the battlefield, but you will not fight." He says, stand firm, hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord. Verse 17, we could go on and on and on. This is the story of our redeeming warrior king. He is our mighty warrior. We do not trust in our own strength. We trust in the name of the Lord, our God. So as we, we begin working through the pieces of armor, I just want to push against your tendency to think, well, I'm not strong enough because, well, uh, I don't know enough truth. My, my belt, my belt's not tight enough. I don't know. Maybe I just need to, I need to know more. Or maybe um, I'm not, I'm not good enough. You know, this breastplate of righteousness. Every time I, I just, I'm not good enough. I keep sinning. I keep messing up. I keep, I'm just, I, I would be a better fighter if I were, you know, This. Or I I don't, I don't know the gospel well enough. I don't know enough to tell people about Jesus. I mean, there's some people out there that have this gift of evangelism, but that's just not me. Like I'm scared. I'm timid. I'm shy. I just, I'm not qualified. And here's what I want to tell you. It's not about you. Put on Christ. Everywhere you're weak, he is strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's all about Jesus. That being said, the second call of this text is to put on spiritual armor. Put on spiritual armor. We're going to dig into three pieces of the armor today. So with that foundation laid, Paul is calling us to action as he concludes his letter with a visual metaphor. This illustration is meant to strike a mental image In the minds of his readers, it does with us as well. But the original readers would be very familiar with the look of a Roman guard. Now, in Paul's mind, to be perfectly honest, hermeneutically accurate, he's probably referencing not just a Roman soldier, but everywhere in Isaiah that these these uh, pieces of armor are referenced. He's coming probably out of the prophecies of Isaiah. But the mental imagery of a Roman soldier is just easy to lock onto. And it's probably what his first readers would have thought of. And so Paul gives us, we're going to deal with three pieces. He says, stand firm. Stand firm. Having fastened on the belt of truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And having put on the shoes of readiness given by the gospel peace In each of these, Paul's using an an article of uh, warfare, an article of protective gear and a core component of gospel living. And he pairs them intentionally. So I want us to walk through these together. If you have a copy of the notes, you'll be following right along with me. So the belt of truth. The belt holds everything together. Um, every other piece is connected to the belt. It guards the most vulnerable areas. It's the core of the soldier. The sword, it goes in the sheath on the belt. The breastplate is clipped to the belt. The shield, when the, when the soldier needs his arms, it hangs On the belt, every piece of the armor hinges on this belt. So Paul starts with a central piece. Moments before Jesus was sentenced to die, he stood before Pilate and they had an epic conversation. Jesus told Pilate in John 18, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Pilate is asking the same question our whole world is shouting. But here's the thing. Truth is not mainly a what, but a who. So the first thing I want you to know about this belt of truth. Is Jesus is truth? John 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in Romans chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, it's a very significant text here. Uh, I want to read it. What if some are unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means, listen to this, let God be true, though every man a liar. That's significant. We look to Christ for the standard of truth. Christ, Jesus Christ, as he's revealed in the pages of the Bible, is truth. I want to ask you, how do you determine what is truth? How do you determine what is true? Is it just based on your internal compass? Is it a marriage of your internal compass of truth and the sort of mass of societal uh, agreement or norm? Like, mm, OK, that's kind of the flow of culture. I, yeah, I guess that's OK, you know, wherever these two things sort of meet. And I want to tell you, that's dangerous. The majority of man's opinions will never outweigh the decree of our God. Truth is unwavering. It is not culturally relevant. Do we believe that? Truth is not culturally relevant. It doesn't matter what the culture thinks. Truth is truth. It is not sensitive to the easily offended. It just is. It does not blow in the wind of public opinion. Truth just is. It is not tossed by the waves of culture. You know, one year we think this is good and the next year we think that is good. And the next year this is good and that's not good. Truth is not like that. Truth just is. And it's because truth is Christ and he is unchanging. He's the unchanging one. Jesus is truth first. Second, not loving truth is deadly. This is not popular, what I'm about to say, but it's true. Second Thessalonians 2, in verse 10. The Bible says, and with all wickedness, wicked deception for those who are perishing. Why? Because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved. To not love the truth is deadly. In Romans 1.18, the Bible talks about how God has revealed himself. He's made himself manifest. But, but the people just continue to suppress the truth. It's a suppression of truth. And because of that, the wrath of God is to be revealed from heaven against those who suppress the truth. People will face the wrath of God because they reject and suppress truth. Truth is not debatable, it's not negotiable. And so, in our world, because truth is so hardcore, it's such a sword, a two edged sword, it must be suppressed. And those who are perishing, are perishing in the wrath of Almighty God because they do not love the truth. That's what the Bible tells us. And they are deceived. God will, according to Romans 1, if you continue in that deception and pushing away and rejection and suppression of truth, God will turn you over to a debased mind is what the Bible says. If you can read, continue reading and. Second Thessalonians, what you discover is that God turns them over to their delusions. Not loving truth is deadly. And people are deceived. You know, 2 Corinthians 4 says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So what is what is our mission? Thirdly, our mission with truth is to love others with the truth. We love others with the truth. Christ rescued us. And now we go for him. Colossians 1 uh, verses 28 and 29 is, is probably my mantra as a pastor, as a teacher of God's word. This is kind of hanging over uh, over me as a pastor. I want to share this with you. I'm just going to read it from from God's word here. I've got it highlighted. Colossians 1 verse 28. Well, a little before that, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Listen to verse 28. Him We proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That's good, y'all. That's good. Christ is the hope of glory. And so, because of that, we are warning. That's not pleasant, is it? That's tough truth. We're warning and teaching. Everyone, So to present them mature in Christ, and we do it, we work that way, we toil that way with His strength that He is working within us. It's not about you, it's about Him. But our mission is to to go with love to others with the truth. It's the reason we work with mission partners around the world. It's the reason we go and work alongside them is to bring the truth of the gospel. A lot of people think that Truth and love are in conflict, but they're not. They're in the same person, Jesus. There's no need to reconcile friends. Here's the great reality. Without love, there is no truth. Without truth, you really don't love. If you genuinely love people, you will call them to repent of sin and turn to Jesus. Christian and non-Christian, we will call our brothers and sisters in Christ who are sin, sinning and caught in a trespass. We will, as Galatians 6 says, restore such a one in gentleness. How? By calling them to repent and look to Christ. And we'll speak to the world who thinks their problem is all of these things, but their problem is actually that they are broken and need to be made whole in Jesus. We will speak the love. It is unloving to know someone is going to hell and not tell them how they can be saved. That is unloving. We call people to repent and turn to Christ because it is loving and it is truthful. And that is the belt of truth. So church, let's put on the belt of truth, which means put on Christ. The breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate covers the vital organs it guards against close contact. You need that breastplate when you get into hand-to-hand fight, right? It's close contact with the enemy. Or it, attacks, it, it, it protects you against the attacks that sort of get past all the other guards that you have. The shield of faith is supposed to quench fiery darts. But, you know, one sneaks by, you got the breastplate Boom, to absorb the blow. The breastplate, listen, isn't an active piece of armor. It is worn, not used. This is huge. And the reason is because of this. This is so good. It's such good gospel truth. The breastplate of righteousness, before it has anything to do with you, it has everything to do with Christ. Christ is my righteousness. In him and him alone, he's the only way I can be before a holy God. He's the only way I can be right with God. I'm a wretched sinner and the only righteousness righteousness I have is in Jesus. So first and foremost, your protective armor is in Christ. He is your righteousness. You are righteous and holy before God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. There is a practical aspect as well. Paul is admonishing us to put on, put on righteousness. And in Colossians 3, I won't read the whole chapter, but what, what he says in Colossians 3 is to take off the old self and put on the new. Take off all that old things, all that old stuff and put on the new. And what he means by that is to put on Christ the things of Christ the truth of Christ the, the righteousness of Christ walk in faithful obedience to Christ so church put on the breastplate of righteousness first and foremost by resting in the righteousness of Christ thirdly the shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace. I took my time spelling that out because I've learned this week that every word of that and the way it's written are important. Very significant. Here's the thing. Shoes equip you as you go. Soldiers are meant to be on the move. We're we're advancing. We're moving forward. Uh, The need for healthy feet is paramount to being effective in the mission. I want to... Kind of pause for just a minute and um, tell you that in my house, shoes are kind of a big deal. It's become a bit of a checkpoint before we leave the house. Everybody got your shoes on? Everybody has shoes on because I can't tell you how many times we've gotten somewhere and one of my multitude of children is missing a shoe or two shoes. And I, I don't know how. How do you not know you're not wearing shoes? How do you not know? But, but the, the, uh, the main one who I always have to keep track of uh, with shoes, especially, is Reagan. And uh, my middle daughter, she's uh, the most, um, well, she just can't keep up with shoes. So, uh, a couple of years ago, this is a few years old, uh, I actually captured one of these moments on video, and I want to share it with you now. Hey, what's the problem, baby? I can't handle, uh, I can't shoes. You can't. We'll turn around, let's see. Turn, all the way turn around, down. keep looking. Where's your other shoe? You think you can find it? How long have you been looking for it? A while? Well, keep looking, it's behind you. It's behind you, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Is this stuck to your of the reason we're in this battle. Shoes remind us of the reason we're in the fight. Shoes are readiness with the gospel of peace. Nehemiah said it this way when he talked about our fight. He framed it up in that we're not fighting to gain more land. More buildings or more stuff or more power or more things in this earth. We're fighting for the souls of people. Nehemiah 4, he says, fight for your brothers, for your sons, for your daughters, for your wives. And he goes on with this rant, encouraging us to go to war for people. This is not about building a wall, Nehemiah says. We're fighting for people. And the Apostle Paul writes, and says, put on the shoes because this battle is about the souls of men and women. It's about people. There's a lot to unpack here, but we're going to do it quickly. The first thing about shoes is it's about mobility. It's about moving for Jesus. He called us to go with the gospel. One of the last things he said to his disciples, Russ mentioned it, go therefore and make disciples. We're, we're called to be on the go, right? We need shoes for that. Jesus called his disciples from the very beginning. He said, if you follow me, I'll teach you to fish for men. The the following of Christ has always been about the souls of men and women. It's always been a a means to, to go with the gospel, to reach and to save those who need Christ. So mobility, it matters. Secondly, I want to kind of take these in reverse order. It's the gospel of peace. What does that mean? 1 Peter 318 says that Christ came, the, the righteous died, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why did he do it? The Bible says to bring us to God, to bring us to God, the gospel of peace. Here's the thing. If you didn't know this before you came to Christ, you were an enemy of God. Ephesians 2 says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Broken. Following after darkness, following after the enemy, but God, he brought us peace. The good news is that Jesus brings peace. In reality, Jesus is peace. Ephesians 2 teaches us that. So I want you to remember for a minute that the gospel summary we learned uh, back when we preached our way through the book of Jonah, we learned it in, in four phrases. I'm, I'm wondering if anybody remembers it. But I won't quiz you. Uh, here it is. This is the gospel, really quickly, simple summary. Bad people—that's you, that's me—can be made right. That's that righteousness of Christ with a good God. He's holy, dear. Not with a good God through Jesus Christ. This is a super, super simplified model. Listen to it. Bad people can be made right with a good God through Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. This beautifully great good news is all about grace. Every other religion is selling you an idea of being right with God, except there's a catch. It's all up to you. It's all up to you. Make yourself right with God. You do this, you do that. Um, You know, Islam teaches... Five pillars, you know, you, you travel to Mecca, you, you pray this number of times a day, you this, 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 you do all those things. You might be right with God. Maybe we could go through religion after religion after religion. And here's the thing. They all promise a right relationship with creator God, but it all hinges on you. That's not it in Christianity. The beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is it all hinges on him he is our peace. He himself is our peace. The gospel of peace. That's great news. Thirdly, we are made ready in believing. Now look at it. Put on the shoes. Having put on the shoes, you will be made ready. And What does that mean? This is where I've been fleshing this out this week. I'll be quick here. But the good news of the gospel Gives readiness when when your heart is truly gripped in the wonder of the great redeemer, you are ready to share that message. The woman at the well in John chapter four. Jesus exposed her sin and then revealed himself as the Christ. She left her water pot and immediately went as a missionary to the city. Come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? I want to tell you, she didn't go through a 10 week training class on how to evangelize. Because the gospel of peace did that in her heart. Treasuring Christ is the best training for evangelism. Treasure Christ and the gospel and you're ready to talk about it. You can't help it. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, he said, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Put on the shoes of readiness with the gospel of peace. And then lastly, how do you do this? We have talked about the who. It's Christ, the what, three pieces of armor. Now, how? Very simply, put on through prayer. Put on through prayer. Paul concludes the book of Ephesians and especially this section about readiness for warfare with a repeated call to pray in verses 18 and 19. That's that's what he says. He says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and pray also for me. Paul says this is. This is the how you want to put on armor. How do you do it? Pray on the armor. Pray it on. It's intentionally inspired by the Holy Spirit for us to realize this is how you suit up for battle. You drop to your knees. Weakness is good when dependence is the goal. So as we conclude this morning, I want to urge you. To pray. I want uh, just to lead us. In praying on these three pieces of armor. As our worship team comes. Would you just bow your heads for a minute. Close your eyes. And I'd encourage you. Just to let these words. I'm going to pray. But I want you to let these. These words just sort of saturate your, your heart. I want to teach us how to pray on the armor. We pray it on by confessing the truths. By posturing ourselves in humility. By asking God for the strength in Christ to do what he's called us to do. So pray on the belt of truth. Maybe something like this every day. I want to encourage you this, during this fast to pray this way. Lord Jesus, you are truth. I trust fully in you guard me from the deceptive lies of the enemy, from the undertow, the riptide of our culture. Help me, Lord, to be strong in the truth. Help me to hear the voice of truth as I read your word. Help me, O oh God, to hide your word into, in my heart that I may not sin against you. Lord, help me to speak truth to those that I love, to not let a moment pass Where you've given me opportunity to speak the gospel. Lord, help me to speak it. Lord, today I want to put on the belt of truth. God, today we pray on the breastplate of righteousness. Lord, I confess my sin and brokenness. I'm a mess, Jesus. But Christ is my righteousness. Jesus, you took my sin to the cross. You have cleansed me. And I take full confidence in the righteousness of Christ that has been accredited to me in the gospel. Grace forgives and grace enables my freedom to live in obedience to an almighty God. Today, I suit up with the breastplate of righteousness. Lord, today we pray on the shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace. Father, You've rescued me from the pit, from the miry clay. You've put my feet up on the rock. I was dead in my trespasses and sins following the course of this world. Blinded by the prince of the power of darkness. I was your enemy. But God, who is rich in mercy, made me alive. Oh, praise your name, Jesus. Now, Lord, give me the compassion and the boldness. To go to those around me who are far from God and need to hear and believe. Give me the words and the boldness to open my mouth with the gospel. Lord, help me not to get entangled in civilian pursuits. To think this life is all about building up wealth for myself and retiring peacefully. No, Lord, help me to make an impact in the kingdom. Give me the readiness of the shoes of the gospel. Please, Lord. I'm fighting for my brother, my friend, my neighbor, the unreached peoples of the world. Lord, send me, here I am, send me to give your message of grace and mercy and peace. Today, Lord Jesus, I'm putting on the shoes of readiness with the gospel of peace. Church, if we pray like that, if we pray like that, We will do the work of denying ourselves and following Jesus to glorious victory. Would you stand with me now as we just respond to the word of God? I want to call us, church, to take this moment, sing if you want, but pray you must. Please call out to Almighty God to be equipped for warfare this week. In your name, Jesus, for your glory.